Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Bruce Ashford on the Legacy of Prison Fellowship founder, Chuck Colson. And Colson, along with Richard John Newhouse, uh, C.F. Lewis, and Francis Schaeffer, and a few other people, showed me what it means to articulate Christ's Lordship and live out His Lordship in these public arenas. Bruce Ashford, next. In 1972, Chuck Colson's career as a member of President Richard Nixon's White House staff was flying high. That is, until the Watergate scandal hit 50 years ago this past summer. Although, as a result, Colson was indicted, convicted, and sentenced to prison, he later wrote that he believed God had put him in prison for a purpose— Eventually, the Lord led Chuck Colson to found Prison Fellowship. There's much more to the story than that, so we contacted Dr. Bruce Ashford, Senior Fellow in Public Theology at the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology, to discuss his recent piece, A Phoenix Arising from the Ashes, Chuck Colson and the Watergate Scandal at 50. Dr. Ashford, for those who weren't around then or who don't remember, what was the Watergate Scandal about? Yeah, you know, those of a certain age will certainly remember Watergate. Uh, It was a major political scandal in the U.S., uh, enormous scandal, and um, that involved uh, President Nixon's administration. Uh, I think starting in, it was June of 1972, uh, when some people broke into the Democratic National Committee headquarters at their Watergate office building in D.C. That's why it's called the Watergate scandal. Uh, There were five people arrested. And then eventually those people were traced back to the Nixon administration and uh, specifically to Chuck Colson, Charles Colson. Richard Nixon was facing impeachment because of this. Okay. And so who was Chuck Colson at that time? Obviously, he worked for Richard Nixon. Can you tell us a little bit about his what his role was there? Yeah. So, you know, he was uh, he was. He's got all kinds of nicknames that were not good from that period in his life. He was the hitman. You know, he was the heavy, he was the wet guy. I mean, he he made things happen for the president. That's the best way to describe his role. He knew how to apply pressure to people to make them do what he wanted them to do. Uh, he was also good with people. He knew how to persuade. And so he was uh, sort of the, uh, uh, the the lube that made the engine run, in a, in a sense. An attorney, right? He yeah, was- an attorney, very smart guy, very accomplished. At, at a very young age, he held this... Um, this uh, staff position with the president at a, at a very young age. So he was a rising star. Well, Chuck Colson was indicted in, in all of this, Dr. Ashford, as you write about, and he was sent to prison. Uh, tell us, and I know there's so much that came out of this, but what happened during his seven-month stint in prison? Yeah, so during this uh, stint, he experienced a, a, a profound conversion of heart, he was uh, briefly while he was in prison. So he had the, his experience of being in prison that made him want to minister to prisoners. But also he was released for a few days. I forget what it was for, but he was released for a few days um, to go home. And he went to his 
uh, started going through his father's papers and realized that his father had been very interested in uh, prison reform, prison ministry, and that kind of thing. Hmm. He determined in his heart and felt that it was God's leading to devote the rest of his life in significant part to uh, ministering to prisoners. Did he come to Christ in prison, or was that was that just uh, prior to? He at least he had a spiritual renewal of some sort. Yeah, in prison. In prison, yes. You know, and the, and the thing is, um, uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote somewhere where he says that uh, it's very difficult to really fix our gaze on God unless we get knocked on our back, and the only place we have is to look up. And that's what happened uh, to uh, Colson. Lewis has another quote where he talks about pain being the um, megaphone through which God speaks to us. And it was the megaphone through which he spoke uh, to Colson. Well, it's interesting because obviously Chuck Colson could have been uh, bitter or or angry. Maybe he was initially. I don't know. But but you you write that he, he believed God put him in prison for a purpose. It wasn't an accident. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, when he was there. He just realized that there were so many people, um, you know, uh, uh, imagers, people made in the image and likeness of God who had been forgotten by society because they did something they shouldn't have done. No matter how bad it was, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that they had been, been in prison for, they had been forgotten. And Jesus, you know, uh, says, hey, you know, in, in uh, the book of Revelation, you remember me when I was in prison. And James talks about true religion is this, visiting widows and orphans in their distress. Well, prisoners are kind of in the same category as widows and orphans. They're, the, the, in, a, in a sense, the weakest and most vulnerable. They've been stripped of their rights, stripped of their dignity, and uh, are left behind. And Colson determined that, uh, you know, to the best of his ability, he'd make sure that prisoners weren't left behind. And he, he devoted his life to that afterwards. Well, we're talking about uh, late Prison Fellowship founder Chuck Colson. Uh, the piece is A Phoenix Arising from the Ashes, Chuck Colson and the Watergate Scandal at 50. My guest is Dr. Bruce Ashford, who wrote that piece. And uh, Chuck Colson, of course, for those that remember, Dr. Ashford was explaining it, uh, if you don't, that Chuck Colson was uh, very prominent in the Nixon administration uh, in, when the Watergate Scandal hit. He was among those who were indicted and uh, sentenced to prison. And, and you write uh, also, Dr. Ashford, that uh, Chuck Colson's life became, I think the way you put it, was kind of a guiding light for you personally. Yes. Talk, talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, when I grew up, I was a little bit of a nerd, you know, and uh, uh, my parents just, uh, you know, my parents didn't have a college education, but they did want to educate me and they gave me books. We didn't have a lot of money, but if I ever wanted books, they made sure I got them. They either bought books for me, whether used or new, or they take me to the library. Well, when I was, I don't know, maybe 10 years old or so, I was rummaging through their book closet, had a closet with books in it, and uh, found a hardback copy of Born Again, which was Chuck Colson's biography. And I read it, and it was very inspiring to me. And one of the reasons it was inspiring, you know, when I was a child, my parents made very clear to me that Jesus is Lord, and he's Lord of everything. Um, but what I had a difficulty wrapping my mind around, in what way specifically is he Lord over things that aren't obvious? Mm-hmm. It's obvious how he's Lord over the church. It's obvious how he's Lord over our personal ethics and so forth. But how is it, uh, you know, is he Lord over politics or uh, incarceration or art or science or any of these sort of public spheres? And Colson, along with Richard John Newhouse, uh, C.F. Lewis, and, and Francis Schaeffer, and a few other people, showed me what it means to articulate Christ's lordship and live out his lordship 
in these public arenas. And so that, in a way, just sort of parenthetically goes to what it is that you do. You're a senior fellow in public theology at the Center for, at the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology. So that's what you're about. That's what the center is about. Yeah, so the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology is an amazing um, network of international scholars. And public theology is a discipline that tries to show the, um, the uh, significance and relevance of the Christian faith for public life. And that might be art, science, education, marriage and family, sports and competition, business and entrepreneurship, uh, you know, all of these different areas, uh, you know, because God's people have uh, work in these uh, different public arenas or they, uh, you know, you know, in sports and competition, for example, that's a, a lot of people's leisure or their job. And, and so that's what we do. We work to show how um, God's vision for human flourishing is what's best in every arena publicly. And it's not easy to figure out because the Bible does draw a direct line for biblical teaching to morality, for example, personal morality, but it doesn't draw a direct line from the Christian faith toward its implications for art or science or politics or incarceration and that kind of thing. And so we have to do the hard work of figuring out how do we reason from Christian truth toward these different public spheres. Okay, well, thanks for that. And back to Chuck Colson. So, seven months stint in prison, he was a prominent part of the Nixon administration. Until the Watergate scandal broke, he ended up in prison. And as he emerges from prison, God obviously had gotten hold of him, and he had a vision for something that has really impacted not just the U.S., but the world. Tell us, tell us what happened. Yeah, so when he got out, you know, he was humbled by this. He was certainly humiliated, but when we're humiliated, that doesn't mean that we've actually been humbled. You know, we can be humiliated and, and retain our self-centeredness, our, you know, we can blame shift, we can become angry, but he wasn't any of those things. He allowed God to humble him, and he began a ministry uh, that is now known as Prison Fellowship and that operates internationally in thousands of prisons around the world, including medium and maximum security prisons. They do incredible ministry. And in fact, if you just go to prisonfellowship.org, if you're out there in Radio Land, this is an amazing ministry uh, to be a part of. I'm a part of this ministry. I contribute to it and uh, believe in it. And then uh, the other thing that Colson did is he, uh, part of his organization, it's now been split into two. You have Prison Fellowship and you also have the Colson Center. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing, the Colson Center is really a kind of public theology, if you will. It's uh, but for lay people. And that, that's another thing that Colson did is he, he had a very good mind. And as he began to um, dig into the riches of the Christian tradition, he found a theologian named Abraham Kuyper. Kuiper is actually one of my guiding lights also. He found Kuiper and C.S. Lewis and, and Francis Schaeffer and so forth. And he began to uh, devote his mental energies. He devoted his uh, you know, physical energies to prison ministry and devoted his mental energies to uh, showing how the Christian worldview is uh, uh, God's intention for people to flourish. And he, he, he did, a, a, you know, he, he wrote a number of books, uh, very good books that still today remain very relevant. I would recommend Born Again, his biography, uh, number one, and then How Now Shall We Live or okay. How Shall We Now Live, okay. which is a, kind of a worldview book that mm -hmm. encourages Christians to act upon their beliefs in public life. And, and so, you know, the beauty of it is, and we, you know, when we look through the Bible, uh, so many 
of uh, the biblical heroes, nearly all of them, the Bible makes clear their flaws, their deficiencies, their, their sins. I mean, an obvious one is King David. He sinned greatly. You know, he committed murder. He committed adultery, you know, et cetera. Uh, you know, there are less obvious examples. Almost all of the examples in the Bible, you see deep flaws in. I mean, the Bible doesn't reveal that about Joseph, for example, necessarily. There's not much there. And but Colson is, is similar to the biblical heroes in that he sinned greatly, and yet he was humbled by it and became a man after God's own heart. And so his life is a model uh, for, for us. When he found himself in hell, he kept on walking. He didn't stop, start blame shifting, resenting people, self-pitying. He, he grabbed under the Christian faith and he kept on walking. And as he walked uh, the path of his life, he was able to do some incredible things for the Lord. And, and as you mentioned, uh, the Colson Center, uh, uh, which focused on public theology for, uh, for the average person, so to speak, uh, yep. the prison fellowship, uh, but he, he was also involved in, in some way, in criminal justice reform as well? Yeah, so prison fellowship has opened the eyes of prison wardens and legislators and uh, you know, law enforcement officers everywhere, because when prison fellowship gets into a prison, um, after five or six years of offering their, you know, uh, what they call uh, their academy, mm -hmm. uh, where, where they educate uh, prisoners in uh, Christian worldview and so forth, you've seen a, a number of medium and maximum obscurity prisons say that it changed the entire culture of the prison. And so for a prison warden, the benefit is that the prison becomes a less dangerous place and becomes much easier to manage. Um, prison guards love prison fellowship because it means that they're in less danger in their job. And, uh, and so you see people whose lives are transformed by Christ, uh, prisoners, many of whom will never get out of prison. And so the ministry these prisoners have is to other prisoners or even to prison guards. Mm -hmm. It's a really amazing ministry. You alluded to this. You didn't go into a lot of detail, Dr. Ashford, but the Chuck Colson influenced people, of course, broadly through his writing and through prison fellowship, but also through personal interaction. Do you know of some people that he personally influenced uh, that you can think of? You know, so he's one of those folks. I mean, you've got public figures who... Uh, put a hedge around themselves, mm. basically, and it's understandable. Mm. You know, if you've got people clawing at you and wanting your time constantly, um, but 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 Colson didn't do that. He, of course, had to set some boundaries. But um, yeah, so for example, uh, John Stone Street, who is now who's a public theologian in his own right, and is now the head of uh, uh, the Colson Center, uh, got time with Chuck Colson, and that was transformative for his life. Um, you know, that's the first that comes to mind. I know that you also had an experience with him, from what I understand. He was on your show. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's rep representative that he took time. You know, he did. Uh, he co-founded something which I think at least in some quarters, some parts of the Christian world is, is a little bit controversial, that of evangelicals and Catholics together co-founded it with a... Uh, a Roman Catholic priest who, who's uh, also since passed away, uh, uh, Richard John New Newhouse. Uh, can you tell us about evangelicals and Catholics together? What was the uh, what was the mission there? Yeah. So what Colson wanted to do is he wanted our, he wanted to say, listen, we we know that there's significant differences between Catholics and Protestants, and Colson would say that he had significant disagreements with uh, Catholic theology and, and and such. But he said, 
we've got so so much we can do together. And so let's figure out where we agree, where we disagree, and let's work to air, together in those areas where we agree. And so he partnered with Richard John Newhouse. Newhouse was a former Lutheran who had turned Catholic, was a public theologian, an amazing public theologian who founded First Things Magazine and the Institute on Religion and Public Life in Manhattan. And the two of them uh, together uh, founded Evangelicals and Catholics together. So I actually am associated with Prism Fellowship the Colson Center, and Evangelicals and Catholics together. So it's just uh, kind of an unexpected blessing in life that I get to participate in um, and benefit from the three sort of uh, significant uh, public arms that uh, Colson helped to found. So with Evangelicals and Catholics together, since you're you're, you're personally familiar with it, they're, they're not necessarily saying we have exactly the same beliefs, but we do share some things in common and we can work together for common causes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So in our meetings, we have royal brawls, you know, theologically. <laughs> uh-huh. And yet we can still go and have dinner afterwards and publish a paper showing the areas where we agree. And so the, the good thing in that room is you can have complete honesty. And there's not personal animosity when you make a tough theological argument against somebody else's position. And it's not like it's just Roman Catholics versus Protestants. It's that within Catholic life and within Protestant life, there's so much, you know, variety and diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like a twenty it's like a twenty person debate. It's a lot. It's more fun than a barrel of monkeys. <laughs> well, you you also write just just getting the, uh, the full spectrum of of the life of this person, Chuck Colson, again how God redeemed him and used him in just remarkable ways that he became. I think the phrase you use is a media personality. And I'm wondering, in, in, in what sense was that? Yeah, so Colson ended up on television uh, uh, more often and in print more often after his crime and great sin than he did before. Mm-hmm. And that was God's kind of God's blessing to Colson that, um, you know, sometimes we don't know a disaster from a blessing uh, or we don't understand that God can take an unmitigated disaster and turn it into a a wonderful, unbelievable blessing. And God's in the business of doing that. And he did it with Chuck Colson's life. Uh, Lewis, again, C.S. Lewis, who wrote so well on pain, said that uh, a lot of times we'll come to God and say, God, you know, if we were to make an analogy between our life in a, in a, in a, a you know, a home, a cottage, we say, God, we would love for you to come and renovate the cottage. Uh, you know, you're the landlord, come in and renovate it, make some improvements. And, uh, you know, God, come in and, you know, make some things, make me a little bit better person than I would have been, you know, et cetera. But we, uh, what we have in mind is that God would come in and put a, you know, a fresh paint of coat on the walls and some fresh carpet. But then when he comes in and starts knocking out walls, uh, we <laughs> fall apart mm-hmm. and ask you, what are you doing? Don't, do you hate me? You're tearing down the very home that I live in. Well, Lewis said, little we know that God is tearing down the cottage so that he can build back a palace. And, you know, he, it's a spiritual analogy that when we go through great pain, whether we cause that pain through our sin or someone else caused that pain, or it's just something that happens like a cancer or, you know, yeah. when we go through great pain, something disastrous, we often can see in tangible ways that God takes that disaster and turns it into a blessing. Pain really is the pathway to spiritual progress. Pain is the pathway to spiritual progress. And uh, when you take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, the uh, faith chapter in the Bible, nearly all of the people listed in there experience pain in life, and some of them enormous pain. And uh, there there are things we can learn about God 
experientially and even in terms of our knowledge um, that we can learn about God when we undergo pain, that it would be very difficult or even impossible to truly grasp if we hadn't uh, experienced uh, disaster, suffering, pain, adversity, that kind of thing. Now, for those that might want to pursue the thinking of Chuck Colson a, a bit further, you've whet their appetite perhaps, uh, w- where would you begin? You, you cite a few things, a few sources, yeah. resources uh, in your piece. Well, I, I'll, rec- I'll recommend uh, four. Uh, the, the best one is Born Again, his memoir, his autobiography. It's just an incredible book. It's easy to read. Um, it's, 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 it's longish. It's pretty mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, a, it's a hot page turner. And then you know, there's, a, there's a book called Chuck Colson Speaks. It's a collection of 12 of his speeches on a wide range of issues. And there's a book called My Final Word, which is a collection of his articles on hot button issues. And those two books, Chuck Colson Speaks and My Final Word, are fascinating because they're short chapters where you get to see this great man speak on 12, 15 different topics. Um, important public topics. Final book I'll recommend is How Now Shall We Live? And this is a a book that systematically applies the Christian worldview to um, our interaction of various spheres of culture, like art, science, education, politics, that kind of thing. Um, Then also, you know, Colson's legacy can be seen if you go to the uh, prisonfellowship.org or the Colson Center uh, website. Those two websites you'll see not Colson himself as much as uh, the fruit of Colson's labors. Well, you write, and you've been talking about this throughout, that Chuck Colson's life is instructive in many ways, and you cite two lessons. You've basically given them to us, but I'm wondering here, as we're kind of coming toward the end of the discussion, if you can kind of do a recap for us, uh, kind of underscoring them for us, those two major lessons that you see, or any others that might come to mind at this point. Yeah, so I think the, the first is that when, you know, when disaster strikes, usually it's unexpected. You know, Colson never thought that he would be, you know, incarcerated right. for you know, a little break in at Watergate or whatever it was he had going through his mind. So disasters hit us in unexpected manners. And often what happens when they hit us is we're tempted to just collapse on the spot. When what God wants us to do is to keep moving forward and making spiritual progress. And one way of putting that is if we find ourselves walking through hell, keep on walking. Mm -hmm. Don't stop. Don't pour alcohol on it. You know, uh, don't um, sit there and simmer in your resentment or or try to shift the blame or or whatever it is. Keep on walking. And that's what uh, Colson did. And he walked the long path, the long path of obedience uh, to, uh, to Christ. And the second lesson is we don't often we don't know a disaster from a blessing. And when we're in the middle of a disaster, we can find it nearly impossible to imagine how God could use something this awful for good. But as a matter of fact, God is in the business of doing exactly that. And Colson's a great example. When he was in prison, stripped of his dignity, of his career, of his finances, um, when he was on the, you know, the third floor of the prison, uh, God was up in the third heaven preparing him for future public ministry. And that, I think that's the lesson for us. The big lesson is that whatever we find ourselves doing in life, whatever happens to us in life, to, to, to continue to walk toward Christ. And even the negative stuff, uh, God will take that and turn it into a blessing. You know, it sounds uh, a lot like what you just descri- described is in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, where, where the Apostle Paul talks about, and he had quite a conversion experience, like Chuck Colson, where he talks about forgetting those things which are behind and pressing ahead 
toward the mark of the high calling uh, and so forth. Can you comment on that scripture or on anything else in God's Word that reminds you of uh, the life of Chuck Colson? Yeah, you know, we do have a high calling in Christ, and Colson had a high calling. He was in a very low place when God gave him a high calling. And so it doesn't matter where we are in life, how low we've gone or, or, or whatever. We have a high calling in Christ to keep walking toward Christ. Um, I think another passage is Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is the, the great faith chapter. You, you know, at the beginning of the chapter, the first 30 verses, you've got these stories of these great biblical heroes of the faith. And there'll be a verse or two or three or sometimes six or eight verses devoted toward each person, showing how each one uniquely held to this high calling of, of, of trusting in the one true and living God. And then in the last 10 verses, you, uh, the author, it's as if he speeds up and realizes he's got to go get dinner and he better hurry up and finish writing. Yeah. And, he, you know, and he lists like uh, 20 different instances of faith within the space of uh, 10 verses. And, but in the way these differ is that each of these instances, in each of these instances, the, the people experienced significant disaster, some of them even death. They were tortured. They wandered in dens and caves of the earth. They were afflicted. They were destitute. Um, and so they went through enormously difficult times when, you know, we would probably throw up our hands and say, God, you've forgotten about me, so I'm going to forget about you. But they didn't forget about God. Instead, they fixed their eyes on him and walked to us, uh, you know, steadfastly and forthrightly toward him. And those are, so those are two passages that come to mind. Mm. Well, if people would like to read your piece, Dr. Ashford, A Phoenix Arising from the Ashes, Chuck Colson and the Watergate Scandal at 50, how can they find that and in in your other uh, pieces, your other articles and so forth? Yeah, so that, that you can find those at bruceashford.net. And so that's a public theology website, and I, I write on the Christian faith and its application to uh, a lot of it is politics and public life, but uh, also I do a good bit of writing on spirituality. So last thoughts about Chuck Colson, his, how influential was he? Does he continue to be? You know, if I were ranking him, I'd say he's one of the, you know, five or six most influential Christians of the last half of the 20th century. I mean, he just, uh, he had influence in so many sectors, you know, from the, 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 the peak of the mountain in, in Washington, D.C. He influenced leaders in Washington, D.C., all the way down to the depths of the barrel, as people would say, and, and had influence uh, among prisoners. He had influence among scholars and intellectuals. He had influence among everyday people. So uh, God just uh, used this man in an incredible manner. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Bruce Ashford, Senior Fellow in Public Theology at the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology. We've been discussing his recent article, A Phoenix Arising from the Ashes, Chuck Colson and the Watergate Scandal at 50. You can read it by going to BruceAshford.com. Net. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Alice Ott on what she calls major turning points in the expansion of Christianity in the world. Patrick was different. He uh, was motivated by the Great Commission uh, uh, to uh, preach the gospel, just like Paul, where the gospel had not been preached before. So he went, uh, and Ireland at that time was at the very edge of the uh, 
then known world. So uh, he became really a turning point and a model for foreign missionary uh, enterprise outside of the boundary of the Roman Empire. That's tomorrow at this same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Thank you.